Hello and welcome to the Pep Talk with Sam and Jason, the two bald frauds. As always, we're here to discuss the Burnley match, um, all other stuff surrounding Manchester City during the international break, including a little bit of transfer talk, a little bit of stuff around the league, um, and just everything moving forward during this great and wonderful international break. Jason, how you feeling? I might, I might need to put explicit on this um. Um, podcast because fuck the international break (laughs) (laughs) so we'll just start off with that i hate international breaks i really do uh i don't enjoy them one bit like especially the fact you know we're on a very very good run of form and i hope that the harlan injury is not really an injury by the way because that would really suck um but yeah look i hate international breaks um, I prefer <laughs> I prefer no international breaks. Just do them in the summer. Just combine them all. I don't know. Do something else. Um, it just ruins the flow. You know, you're having a game every three days, and suddenly you got two weeks off. So, yeah, that's my feelings on the international break. <laughs> but how are you, man? How you going? Uh, not too bad. Not too getting bad. a little warmer here, so that's yeah, getting- that's always <laughs> nice. But I mean, I agree. I hate international breaks, especially these ones in the middle of the season. Right after a World Cup, so they don't even matter, really. I mean, I know they're Euro <laughs> qualifiers and stuff, but like, it's yeah. just it's just annoying. Just keep our players fit. Honestly, that's that's all I hope for at this point is nobody get injured during the international break, and I'm happy. It's funny. I've had multiple conversations with people about this, and no one likes international breaks. No one. I haven't heard anyone say to me, "Yeah, I love international breaks. They're so good." You know the weird thing is <laughs> Come on. It, it, you know the weird thing in America like the average American who doesn't watch football or soccer however you want to call it um they think of international play as like the pinnacle of playing that's because the all Cup. they know is the World Cup that's yeah. all they know yeah and it's fair. it's funny because they'll turn in for the World Cup and they don't turn on for anything else. But for us, I feel like when I'm watching international games, it's like the level is down so much because it's terrible. Like compared to club play, because the teams aren't built like they're built based on who's from that country. So you can't really build a team based on your specifications. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they don't have much time to play together. So it's, it's just kind of putting, Look, square pegs and round holes the whole time, and it's not fun to watch. It's just yeah. the the passion of the country. Yeah, look, the the World Cup, I agree, fantastic. Euro is fantastic. The the big competitions like your Concacaf, your um, you know, your Asia World Cup, etc. Right? They, I don't mind those. They're like the big competitions. I'm fine with those. But like, you know, this year we kind of missed those international breaks, right? Because I had a massive World Cup smacked in the Right. So usually be in, in the start of the season, you get like August, you get an August international break, no, not August, sorry, I should say September international break, then an October international break, then a November. You remember like every end of the month you had an international break. It's like a constant break to start the season. It's the worst. Um, yeah, it's the worst thing ever. It's like you, you get into a flow and then suddenly you get international break. And I feel like we're, we're being hurt by it right, right now, right? So like City are probably in the best form they've been this season, right? So... An international break getting smacked right in the middle where injuries and things can happen, where players can get run into the ground, um, can derail that form, right? So it's huge, especially the fact that we've got Liverpool right at the international break. Like, it's like, come on, 
timing, it's the worst. It may, so it makes you hate it more, right? So, you know, if the international break didn't break up the season as much, you wouldn't hate it as much because it does ruin your form. And, and you know how it is after international breaks. You come back and either the players are flat or the team doesn't play the right way or the form's gone already or someone gets injured. It just changes the whole dynamic again. It's like, give me a break. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that's my little that's my little rant about the um the international break. I'm sure a lot of people agree with me. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, let's talk about Burnley now. What's the talk about? We smashed them six nil. End of discussion. No, no, no. We've got lots to talk about there. <laughs> there's there's a good amount to talk about. So let's start with the lineup. Like what did you think when you first saw it? There was didn't really know how it would line up because there's Alvarez and KDB as the quote unquote eights. Um, and so, what, so what did you think when you saw it? So I woke up probably 15 minutes before the lineup came out. So that was I think it was about three or five in the morning or something crazy like that. But yeah, I woke up. I was half asleep when I woke up, and I looked at the, the lineup. I'm like, whoa. This looks very strong, right? So I was just like, that was my initial thought when I first woke up. I'm like, wow, we went really, really strong. Like, I'm like, Harlan's playing. Oh, Alvarez is playing too. So I was just like, what is going on? I didn't expect, I expected Harlan to get a to get a rest, right? So I was very, very surprised to see him in the lineup. Um, and then seeing Alvarez in the lineup was good. Rika Lewis was good. Um, I, I was surprised other players like Palmer were in, but it was good to see Laporte back in the lineup. Um, but overall, I was like, straight away, I was like, the, my first, first reaction was just like, wow, we went really, really strong. The biggest surprise for me was the no, um, the no Phillips. That was the biggest surprise for me. So, Rodri starting over Phillips, I was like, whoa, okay. So, Pep doesn't trust Phillips at all. Right? And there might be tactical reasons for his choice, but... If Phillips can't in- get into a game, you know, there's probably besides now Sheffield United because we got a, we got a favourable draw for once this season um, in the FA Cup. I don't see any other matches where Phillips can play, so he's gonna go the rest of the season unless Mockenwood, um, Rodri doesn't get injured. He's not gonna see much game time, and I think even if Rodri gets injured, he, I think Pep will play Gundogan there before he plays Phillips. Right? Like, is that the vibe you're getting? Yeah, I think so. Like it seems like Pep just doesn't trust him yet. Maybe he will. Uh, I'm not sure on that, but I think my first thought when I saw the lineup was like normally in in those two eight roles, there's somebody who is more controlling there. Like there's either Bernardo or or Gundogan in those roles, and those are more kind of the quote unquote pausa controlling type of midfielders, the short passes, the dictating tempo, um, hmm. the, those types of guys. My guess is he didn't want to throw Phillips into that because he had those two eights, because he had Alvarez and De Bruyne, who are very direct, very going forward, yeah. and he would just kind of throw Phillips to the Lions then. There. Like he's, he's kind of setting him up for failure in a yeah. way. And he could trust Rodri there. That's kind of my guess. I think the other reason is Burnley's a high-pressing team. Uh, so, again, it's kind of throwing him to the wolves to have him just receive it under pressure. I feel like if you were to bring in Phillips, 
It would be for a team that's got a little more of a low block, so Phillips isn't directly under pressure all the time. Hmm. And a team that maybe doesn't offer as much on the counterattack and where Phillips kind of is surrounded by um, some help. Like, an 18-year-old Rico Lewis would be next to him. So, like, it, and he has the two eights who don't really, who are just go, go, go all the time, which means we're going to lose the ball more often. So, yeah. I think that's why he played Rodri is because of the team surrounding. It It's just setting up Phillips for failure. And um, and then bringing on Phillips in, what, the 60th minute or whatever it was, that at least gets him some good time. I hope that he can integrate into the squad because you can see his qualities when he comes on. Like, you can see why, we're, why we signed him. Yeah. He can ping a long ball incredibly well. Like, he especially yeah, out to the wings, he can he can really like get the ball out to the wings like in behind a defense and just put it on the spot every time. He's very good at that. Which, which so is like you can see it. We kind of played that way against Burnley, right? Like we kind of went over the top a lot. So in a way he could have suited the play style, but I guess to your point, the, the pressing of Burnley is what maybe worried Pep Guardiola. So he probably thought about it and goes, hmm. Maybe I need to leave Roger in just for that little bit of control with Rick Lewis next to him. Um, you know, if you put Lewis and Phillips, then you might be turning over the ball too much with that with a high press from Burnley. What, yeah, what do you think? I've... What do you What do you think of that first half? By the way, the from Burnley, like the first twenty five minutes before we scored, I, I, they were pretty good, honestly. Like they. It looked like they tried to compete as much as they can. Like I don't think their team is very talented either. I agree. But they are dominating the championship, and I think a lot of that has to do with Vinny, and they they came out to play against us. Like They didn't just change their tactics and sit in a low block. They, yeah. They came out yeah, they and came they pressed play. us very well. I, I think they did really well, too. Like. We had a fairly strong lineup, like you said. And I kind of expected that because we were going into an international break. And there are some guys that needed to play. Like, Marez needed to see the field. Yeah, look, I expected I expected the players on the fringe to play. My, my biggest surprises were, were Rodri and Haaland, right? I expected them definitely to be dropped. Um, yeah. Just, just, just to get some rest in the legs and, you know, take some minutes off of them. But, you know. Yeah. Uh, I... There's always two two coins of that side, you know. It's like go all out, but it's the last game before the international break. You know, deal with deal with whatever comes after, type of thing. Yeah, but I think overall, Burnley looked pretty good. Like they, I think just after you know the half hour mark or whenever we scored our first goal in the twenty fifth minute or whatever it was, they just kind of fell apart. And especially, it was kind of like the Leipzig match where we just got two goals in two minutes and then it was over. Like they. They just, they just kind of like shell shocked after that, and yeah, yeah, and I think too they're like that team is so young and they're not used to being on the ropes like that. Like all they know how to do because they're in the championship is they don't really have to play deep blocks against anybody. They don't like they're the aggressor. So yeah, to go against the team that's essentially better at their game than they are. And then when we have when they have leave all of that space and you have Alvarez and De Bruyne and Holland like you gotta get talked. It's just <laughs> yeah, it, it it just they they did really well for the beginning, but it was just kind of unsustainable and uh, 
like yeah, they just, they just I agree. fell apart. Was it a bit naive then from company to, to, to set up that way? Or do you think, you know, it's good for him to show that bravery and, and you know, you know, I'm going to stick to my principles and just go with it. You know what I mean? I'm going to stick to the way I play and let my team experience. I think he made a very, very good comment after the game as well. He said, look, the reality is we're the 21st best football team in England. So he's already setting up his team and the mentality to go into the Premier League next season. Uh, personally, I think they played really, really well. For 20 minutes, if they can play like that, they can sign a few more players when they when they come up, um, you know, by default of coming up to the Premier League, they're going to they're gonna sign a few players. Right? So I think if they get a few good players, and I'm sure City will loan them a couple of players as well because, you know, their style is perfect to blood in young players, right? And you've got yeah. company there. It's perfect. It's, it's actually a perfect situation for us in a way. Um I think if they continue to play that style, I think they'll finish. I think they'll be a top ten team next year if they get some couple signings in. Because the way they play was like, like you said, it was fantastic. So twenty minutes and it was unsustainable. Um, but they went up against a team in unbelievable form in City, and you know Harlan's in great form. What did he score? He scored eight goals in yeah in one week. Um, eight goals you know, in two matches. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like that's so, incredible. Yeah, I think he played sixty minutes in each, three minutes in each. I think I sent you the photo with sixty-three minutes each, <laughs> right? So he's played. Yeah. He's played. He played one hundred twenty minutes of football and he scored eight goals. Um, so you know, the guy's a freak. Let's be honest. Um, so for them to go up against that, still play the way they did um, in the first twenty minutes, you know, they had a couple of good chances as well in that first twenty minutes. I think so. Like I think off the one of the mistakes that we did. Um, but yeah, look, it's it is what it is. I think you know, like we said, there's not much, there's not really that much to talk about because they got smacked six nil. The only thing I'd say is maybe they were still a bit of naive. Whether I say maybe they could be naive was when they were when they were down, you know, three nil, four nil, and it's starting to get to that high score mark. You know, just close up shop, go to a low block because I was still playing high line. You know, you look at the last two goals, three goals that we scored, they were still playing a high line. Um, and it's like, maybe you should have shut up shop just to, to reduce the score line. But look, I, I'm, I'm, I think, you know, I, I enjoy seeing teams play that way against us because not many teams do. Um, and it changes the dynamic of the game and makes it more interesting as well. Like it's, it's something like, oh, you know, Pep, Pep says, I love teams playing like this because we get to smash them 5-0. But in reality, when some teams do plays like this and they give us a lot of trouble, right? We've had trouble dealing with teams that have a very, very good press. You know, we've seen it in Newcastle earlier this season in that 3-3 all draw. They pressed us like hell and we didn't deal with it very well. So we've seen teams do it right and it can bother us. So, you know, props props to props to Burnley, props to props to company. I, in, my, in my mind, I think they did really, really well in, in that first 20 minutes, but... Like you said, the quality that we have is just, you know, it's, it's uns- it was unsustainable for them to do it. And, you know, it's been their first time they came up against a strong Premier League side like that. So, yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like, do you really think they're the 21st best team in England? I think they're probably yeah. better than three or four Premier League teams. Right oh, now. dude. I, look, like I said, I, I, I think, I think they'll finish the top half next season with a couple signings, right? So, yeah, they're going to need to make some signings. Like, that's, that's yeah. the other thing is, not many of their positions are primarily quality. Like they're very good 
for what they do, but they need to, uh, and I think they have new owners, so that might help them. But they're they're going to need to make some good, smart signings. Like the the team that they currently have, I don't think will be able to last. In the yeah, league. they're going to need to make three or four signings. Well, yeah. To to be fair with their new owners, like you said, you know, if, if anything, a lot of people lost. You were saying those new owners weren't going to help. They did a leverage buyout. They did a very similar deal to what the Glazers did with United. They put the 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 team on debt and they suddenly didn't have money to spend. They didn't have anything to do. Um, and that's kind of why they got relegated um, and ended up firing Sean Dyche at the time. Um, they kind of like fell into this hole because of their ownership. And for them to be coming back up a year later after getting relegated, you know, it's very, very surprising. I, I'm, I'm shocked, to be honest. I, I didn't expect them to do that well in the championship. Like, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm like when, when the company first signed them, I'm like, really? <laughs> I'm like, is that the right move for his career? And then, you know, not even, what, eight months later, we're looking at it and go, okay, fair enough. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah, so it's, it's, it's very impressive. It's very, very impressive in my mind. Like, I look at it and go, okay, that's actually very, very impressive. I agree. So, uh, I guess to wrap up on Burnley in general, who do you, who was your man of the match? Um, Holland, or can it be somebody else? Yeah, happy Holland. Look, he he broke the deadlock, and I think we should just maybe maybe talk a little bit about their goals and a, a bit about um, Alvarez and how they play. I think it's important to note how we play when there's a bit of space, and it's kind of it's kind of good. It's you know. With, with the side effects of our draw in the Champions League, it's kind of a, a good measure of how we can play differently, right? So, you know, I think Burnley had about 45% possession in this game, right? So it was, we weren't dominating the possession like we usually do against a, a team that's below us in the table um, where we have like 80% possession and they just sit in the low block and they sit back and absorb pressure and then try to get something on a counter or from a corner or from a free kick, right? What's interesting is that we changed our play style to go against the press and against the way they were playing. So we instantly changed it up. And that makes us tough to deal with, I think. So I, I think about it and I go, are we going to be, you know, especially with the form that we're in, you know, I think for me the biggest telling sign will be how we go into Liverpool after the international break. If we still maintain that form, then... You know, I think we can go really, really far in the, in the competition that we've got left, right? Um, but to, to bring it back full circle, um, for me, the mana match has to be Haaland. You know, 63 minutes, three goals, and every finish was sublime, you know? If you think about his first goal, the way he nipped it around the keeper, then his second goal where Foden passed it to him and he does that, you know, opens his body at the perfect time and just, you know, rattles in, into the corner from... a fantastic finish the guy is just a finishing machine he is like it's insane it is insane what is he going for the second goal was incredible like that doesn't show up on many highlight reels because it's not a wonder goal or anything like that but the technique for that second goal is absolutely insane because 99 percent of any striker would have tried to kick it, go around the keeper or tried to chip it above the keeper. And like the keeper did a very good job of coming out. Like Holland did Mm. not have much of an angle there. And Holland, 
against his own body, opens up his body, and chips it around the keeper from the from the other side. That I mean, that's just like completely against the momentum of his body and everything. That's incredible. Like, yeah, most most that players was probably, a beautiful finish. Most people would have went with their right foot. I think because he's left footed, um, he's pretty left footed dominated to be honest. But he's still very good with his right. But him, the way he just opened up and then yeah, the technique for a guy that's six foot four. And that big, it's unfair for him to be that technically good, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, like, like he's <laughs> he's still two footed with with his finishing though, which is nice. But like to open your like, I've never seen anybody even try that on like because we've seen goals like that a lot. But it seems more of like they either try to go near post or they try to round the keeper. Or they try to go weak foot back across. He opened himself up, went strong foot back across, and kind of curled it around the goalie. Yeah, like man. that's just that's beautiful. That's brilliant from every angle you could imagine. Brilliant. Do you know what I want? Do you know what I want? I want to highlight the third goal as well. You know how he it was off the rebound of Foden, right? Yeah. I was reading something, and it was something interesting that that. Someone noted. So the conversation he had with with Henri after the Leipzig game, right? Someone said, um, I can't remember who said it, um, but it was after the Leipzig game, and Henri was saying to him, you know, like he was talking about his goals, and you know, and then straight away Harlan went into, you know, I could have had more goals, right? Which is crazy to say because he had five goals in that game, and he was talking about how, oh, if I if I stayed back from the rebound, what should have been two meters back, I would have got the goal. And if you notice, when Foden shot, he actually stopped further back. Did you notice that? Like, he actually stopped yeah. further back. Usually, he runs further in to go for the for the tap-in, right? So, so he expects pass, so he goes far post. But instead, he goes, okay, Foden's most likely going to shoot in this scenario. So, he's, he learned something new within the space of three days. And he took that on, changed the way he plays, and got the third goal because of that, because of his positioning. And this is what kills me when people say, oh, he's just a tapping merchant or he only gets easy goals. No, no, no. The way he positions himself is fucking amazing. I'm going to put this podcast as explicit because we're swearing a lot. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> he is amazing at position. It is unbelievable. And we've had players in the past that are good at positioning. Like Sterling was fantastic at positioning. But the difference is when Harlan's in the right position, he's scoring nine times out of ten. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah. and that third goal is uh, like, it's the best, you know, props up to him from terms of, you know, football IQ to be in that position, to learn from what he did at Leipzig differently from a rebound and said, no, no, I need to sit back a little bit more here. And he's in the exact perfect position. People say, oh, the, he's a magnet for the ball. No, no, he's not a magnet for the ball. He's just that smart football IQ wise that he knows where to stand based on other players' positions. So, you know, the guys, it's it's crazy because he has that technical ability, you know, like we talked about that second goal, right, where he has that technical capability to be in the right spot and then have that technical ability to finish so well. But he combines it with that amazing finishing and, you know, he's just, it's just a, he's a generational talent. Like, I, every, yeah. every time... 
like people are not realizing that he has 42 goals or 43 goals now, right? And he's about to break the Premier League all-time or competitions goal scoring record. And we're in freaking March. People yeah, are not have processing. Ta- we have that eleven yet. games to go in the league still. Yeah, we've got eleven games to go in the league. We potentially have five more games in the Champions League, and we potentially have two more in the FA Cup. Right? So he's not gonna just shatter those goal scoring records. He might beat the six goal record from the bloody nineteen thirties from um I can't remember his name now. Dixie? Dixie? Yeah, like, Dixie? And he'll be even better next year. That's the thing. And he's getting better part. as the year goes he, on. This this had like he started the, the year very very hot because of the, but then he's adjusted his play style a little bit and then he's still scoring and now that now that the team's clicking again and we're back into form he's getting hat tricks again so look and that, my end point is obviously he's the man of the match for me um, but he's just a freak he is so good and and people saying poaching or tapping. That's a skill. That is a very, very hard skill to be a poacher, right? It's prime Inzaghi from from the, the old school Italian player who was one of the best poachers, right? And he was, you know, he was amazing at it. And I think Haaland's even better because he has the physique and he has the the speed and athleticism to match it, right? Inzaghi wasn't the most athletic player, right? So to have all that in combination... And the way he's built, right? It was like, <laughs> as they say, it was built in a lab, right? And it's like, give me the best finisher possible. <laughs> and that's him, right? He's going to shatter every goal-scoring record. He's going he's gonna to make something that we think is normal into normal. And we're just going to get used to it. And people, that's what I'm saying. People are not appreciating it, right? People are not appreciating how much he's scoring. Yeah, and I think the other thing, too, is like, all people can say is, oh, well, he's always at the right place at the right time. Like, that's a skill. That is not... 100%. That is not something you can teach. I mean, I guess you can make it better, but you either have it or you don't at some point. And I think it was Juan Malio who talked about this last year, how he always used to teach um, strikers and midfielders to arrive late in the box. Because he said, if you arrive first, you're probably not going to score the goal. So you have to time your runs, and it doesn't mean you run straight at the goal every time. Sometimes you need to recognize when to hang back in the box, and you will have better opportunities to score than just running directly into the goal. And, I mean, we kind of see that now with Holland. Like, he, he's not always bursting forward. He's, you know, he's sometimes hanging back. He's always finding the space in the box, no matter where it is. I mean, he's, he's just finding the space. So I think his spatial awareness, like his, his brains, and just his absolute finishing quality is tremendous. And I don't think we've seen a striker like this in a very long time, if ever. Just so skilled in so many different ways. He, he's breaking long-term records. Right, and he's he's not just breaking him; he's smashing him, right? So it's not, and he's doing this in his first season with City, and he's twenty two years old, right? So as he gets older, he'll get a bit smarter, even he'll get technically better, he'll improve, and he's you know you look at what he says; he he finishes a game after scoring five goals, and he's thinking about the goals he missed. He's not thinking about the goals he scored; he's thinking about the goals he missed. 
That is the elite mentality, right? So, and and we're not even talking about how he's six foot four, <laughs> faster than everybody on the field, and stronger than everybody on the field. Like, do you remember when two years ago when we played him in the Champions League and he threw Ruben Diaz like he was uh, a rag doll? <laughs> I mean, like, like he is that like. So he has all of this technical ability, all of this, all of these brains, and then you put him in like a lab-made footballer's body for a striker. Like it's incredible. Like he's he literally even uh, against Leipzig that first goal that he didn't score, he was in a foot race with Gavardiol, who's very fast, and it looked like it was a it looked like a track meet. I mean, like he was he's so fast. Like, uh, and and like you said, he's six foot four and he's stronger than everybody. Like, do you know what I love incredible. about? It's incredible. Do you know what I love about Holland? And that's a that's a, actually a breath of fresh air this season. Um, from last season, he's really offside. Do you remember? Have you? Can you even recall? <laughs> can you recall any goals he scored and it's called back for an offside this season? Maybe one or no. two. Like I can't even think of any. Right? Nothing. He's none really good at timing his runs. None come to mind. So that even shows, you know, we're talking about his positioning ability and how like it's world class and you know it's generational in a way, um, and his football IQ. So, and you think about that times he's been offside. I guarantee if you look up his stats for offside, there's not many. You know, and you compare that with someone like. Jesus, Jesus, who is a fantastic footballer, don't get me wrong, and he has lots of qualities. But he was fucking offside every fucking game. <laughs> he was like, offside he's... all the time. The guy was all born offside. He was born offside. <laughs> like, so... And this is the thing with Haaland that people don't appreciate when they say, oh, he's getting those easy goals. But he's getting into those positions first, not offside, in a great... You're in a great spot, and then he's combining that with a fantastic finishing ability. Like, what Listen, else can you say any, about the guy? What else can you say about the guy? Anybody who says, oh, all he scores is tap-ins and easy goals, just don't listen to him. You want to know why? Because nobody else is scoring that many tap-ins. We had Sergio Aguero, one of the greatest strikers in the history of the Premier League. He wasn't scoring that many goals. So, Oh, oh that's the other counter-argument I've heard. Oh, they play for City. Of course they're gonna, he's going to score that many goals. Why the fuck did no one else do it for you know the last three years, or the last four years? And I think I think people are realizing like playing for City opens up more opportunities. But if you're a good scorer, you're a good scorer. Like I think exactly. we're seeing that now with Sterling. Like oh, all of a sudden Sterling doesn't have the opportunities to score, doesn't score nearly as many goals. Exactly, Sterling's not a not surprise. Fair. Yeah, Sterling's not scoring at all. So you know Sterling was scoring a lot of goals with us because he had those opportunities, but he used to miss a shitload of goals as well. If he was a fantastic yeah. finisher, he'd end up with 30 goals every season, right? And people don't forget, right? He Haaland's broken Aguero's all-time scoring record already with City, and he's done it in six months. Aguero played for City for almost 10 years. And he was... Come on, guys. One <laughs> of the greatest strikers the league exactly. has ever seen. I fucking love so, Aguero, but you, you, the facts speak for themselves. This is not normal. It is not normal what he's doing. Okay. So moving on from the ode to Erling Haaland. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think, look, I think we gave, we've spoken enough about Haaland, you know. <laughs> so here's a question. 
Well, we kind of touched on a little bit, but let's go into it a little bit deeper. Do you think Calvin Phillips ever gets in for City? Or like, I know it's his first season, and we need to be patient with him. And you always bloom in your second season, and all that fun stuff. But do you think his lack of game time this year? I know he was injured for a period, but do you think his lack of game time signifies that Pep doesn't trust him and might never trust him, and maybe try to sell him this summer? Or do you think it's just Rodri is so good and Phillips is just not there yet? Look, uh, if I'm being completely fair, the, the thing is right now Pep doesn't trust him, especially because we're in the running. If we were at the beginning of the season, I think Phillips would have got a bit more game time, right? But because we're in the running, we've got only a few, you know, 20 games left in total probably, right? But... Premier only has 11 games. Champions League only has five. There's only big games left, right? You know, the, the only non-big game, and it's still a big game because it's an FA Cup semi-final against Sheffield, but he's not going to start that game either. If Rodri's fit, he's going to start. All right, so I don't think, you know, going back to you know the starting lineup, I expect him to start against Burnley. I think, like, I think that was a good opportunity for him to start. But the whole factors of the international break, etc., not being ready, you know, the pressing, the tactical side, he missed out. I'd say Phillips would get one more year. And I think that's fair for him to get that one extra year. And the reason why is most players take a year to get accustomed to how we play. Right? And if you look at Rodri's first season, a lot of him, a lot of people said he's too slow, he's not good enough, he doesn't cover the back line. He you know, I don't know if you remember like the amount of criticism. I I was one of the people, you know, speaking against Rodri. I was like change something, do something. He doesn't fit the way we play. And the reason was, is at the end of the day, he was not Fernandinho. He's a different type of player. So we had to adjust our system a little bit, and then he got used to the way we play. And now, he's undroppable. One of the best defensive midfielders in, in, in the league, not alone, let alone the world, right? In all of Europe. So, for me, I think we have to give him the extra year, right? And on top of that, something we always got to remember, right? If you sell Phillips, it means you have to bring someone in, all right? And who's going to be happy to sit behind Rodri, right? Rodri's going to play every Champions League game, every Premier League game, if he's fit. So, besides rotation, like Pep does rotate a little bit. But so if, you're a, if you're a top player, are you going to want to come to City and play defensive midfielder behind Rodri? And the answer is most likely going to be no, right? The only player that we could get um, that could, like, you know, a player that would fit playing as a, you know, behind Rodri would be a player that needs to be able to do both roles, right? And but what I mean by that is they can play the eight role and, and the defensive midfielder role, the six role, right? So unless you're that type of player, so, you know, like an Enzo Fernandez maybe or a McAllister type of player where... Pep would be confident playing you as defensive midfielder or as an eight means you'll get more game time, so you'd be a bit more comfortable coming to City. Kind of like how Gundogan was in his first few years, right, where he could play both roles a little bit better. I don't think it's even how Bernardo is right now. Yeah, Bernardo, Bernardo plays next plays next to a defensive midfielder, right? So you can kind of say, you know, I think Phillips is not an eight, right? So he would never play eight. He either needs to play next to Rodri or needs to play in Rodri's position. So, so that that's the. That's the, the reason why I don't see us selling him. You know, a lot of people have suggested maybe we should sell him, maybe sell him to West Ham and then 
get Declan Rice in. Nah, not very realistic in my mind, right? Because you bring in Declan Rice, you know, who sits on the bench for us? Who, you know, if we end up do getting Bellingham, right? And then we have Kevin De Bruyne, Bellingham, Rodri. That's your that's your main three midfield. Or it could be a mixture of something different. Where like Bellingham's next to next to Rodri, but a little bit in front because he can play that back and forth game. And then Kevin De Bruyne a bit more forward. So whoever comes in is going to be sitting behind Rodri anyway, right? He, they're not going to get much game time. So you have to think about that dynamic. You know, Phillips is at the end of the day a backup player. So him not getting game time to me is not that bigger concern yet and the reason why it's not a concern is like i said we are at the end of the season we are in the prime time of winning games we, we can't we literally like right now in the league i think if we lose another game we're out of the title race right so up until the arsenal game we have to basically win all our games that, that's my opinion because you want to stay close to arsenal by the time you hit that Arsenal game so you can either bring the lead back to two points the, the, the worst thing for us would be going to that arsenal game um you know, eight points behind or something like that. You'd want to be within that. Like right now, we're five points with a game in hand. It's eight points, but with a game in hand. So if we're five points coming up to the Arsenal game, right, you kind of want to say, okay, we're five points behind. We can bring this lead to two. Then Arsenal have a few tough games. We just got to hope they drop points, right? Mm-hmm. So in saying that, Phillips is not going to get game time. It's too late for it's too late in the season. And to be fair to him, he did have a lot of injury problems in the, at the start of the season. He had the shoulder injury that he never fixed. So they said, you know what, just get the surgery done. He didn't play all the way up until November, and then the World Cup started. So he got fit, and then the World Cup started. He went, he, did he get, he went with England, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so he went with England in November. He didn't play with City up until he went to the World Cup because he did surgery on his shoulder, right? I think he played one game to start the season. Right, and then he had that injury on the shoulder, like it was bothering him, and said, just do the surgery, just get it done, stop putting it off. So think of it, from start of season till December, he didn't play. And he was in he was basically in the slash at World Cup. December comes, we had a few issues with form, etc. Um, after the World Cup. And obviously Rodri is the player that you need to start, right? So there wasn't much opportunity for him to start anyway. And now it's too late in the season, so he's not going to get starts. So I, I, I'm not concerned. I, in, in, to wrap it up, in, in terms of the what I think about um, Phillips, I feel like the we'll know next year. That's my opinion. Next year will, will be the big year for him, and that's where the decision will have to be made at the end of the next season. Yeah, I'm kind of torn. I think if it, it, it's one of two things for me, either. Phillips just doesn't see it working at all, and he wants to go this summer. And in that case, you know our transfer policy. If you want to go, go. Like that's that's how we do it. So I think if he were to leave this summer, it's either that or City are so dissatisfied with him that they just say he needs to get out of here. Um, from a character perspective, I don't – I mean, I haven't really seen anything – that would suggest that he's not a good character. Like he was, he was the leader of that Leeds team, um, and he was so important for them. And he seems like a good guy. Obviously, I don't he's, know. He's very soft spoken. <laughs> yeah. So if there is, if he does go this summer, it's because something has gone horribly wrong. It's either 
he doesn't want to be here anymore and he doesn't want to compete for his spot or he's overwhelmed or whatever it is, or it is that uh, Pep says, no, I don't want this guy around anymore. He's not up for it. So who knows? But I agree with you. I think, you know, barring any of those major issues where we want him out, no, don't let him go because... Like you said, we'd have to integrate somebody again next year. And exactly. who else are we going to find in that mold where they're comfortable sitting next to Rodney, Rodri or playing a 6-8? slash Because I think Phillips can play next to Rodri. They're different enough players. Phillips can kind of burst through the middle. He's not going to be a traditional 8, but he can be more of a box-to-box type of midfielder. And he's done that for the national team. When he played next to Declan Rice, he Correct, got yeah. forward a little more. So, like, and especially if you see the way we build up in a 3-2, could you have Phillips and Rodri as the two and then have maybe a fullback high and wide or something like that? Yeah, you can you can definitely do that. And I think that City's long-term plan is like, hey, we're not going to have a guy who's just a backup to Rodri. We're going to have a guy who has an option to play next to him as well. So I hope we keep him around for next year, and I think he will do better. Like, he has – Equality to play for City. I, I don't think there were. I don't think it's lost. I I don't think that. Oh, this guy's just not good enough or anything like that. He has the quality. He's. I I think he can do a good job. So, uh, let's let's see how that goes next year. But yeah, I hope he stays around. I I I agree with you there. And it's always important to note that we have a historical. You know, since Pep has been. At City, we have historical, um, you know, we've got historical data to show that players take time to bet into a pep team. Whether it be Bernardo Silva, you know, Bernardo Silva didn't look good in his first season with City, right? Whether it be Rodri, who didn't look good in his first season, Nathan Ake, um, yeah, there's, there's only been a few players that have come into the team, even Grealish, right? Grealish last year, everyone's like, why do we buy this guy for 100 million? And now, he, you know, one of our best players this season. Same with Nathan Ake. It took a year. They take a year to get good, and you know you look at you look at Phillips when he does play in the limited minutes he does. He looks lost, right? And a lot of players get overwhelmed with the way we play because there's so many things to think about. And it's a very difficult role to be fair, like especially the defensive midfielder role. It's probably the hardest role to do in a pep team. Um, yeah, because that's the side that's going to leave your defense the most exposed if you get it correct. Right. Yeah, there is like you really have to know when to press, when to hang back, and that's what everybody thought of Rodri in his first season. They thought yep. he doesn't have the uh, he doesn't have the pace, but it's because he didn't know when to press and how to press and how to position his body. Like all of that stuff is incredibly important, and that's why now Rodri hasn't really gotten any faster, but <laughs> he knows how to position his body. He knows where to be, and now it looks like well, he's just always there, and it's because. He knows how to position his body. He knows, and that stuff, that's just incredibly hard. And it was really hard for Rodri, and it's not easy for Phillips either. And I know he came from a very intense Bielsa team, but it's still not the same. Like, he, you have to know when to press. You have to know how to position your body. You have to know yeah. where to be at all times. And uh, that just takes time for anybody in Pep's team. Like, and, and honestly, the only, the only players I've seen who have come in immediately – and been really, really good are mainly defenders. Like, yeah, it's Ruben Diaz, 
Akanji, Laporte, Kyle Walker, guys like that. Like that because at some point, like you gotta know how to defend and that'll help you. But um any anywhere in the midfield or forward, it takes you time. It took Mares time, it took De Bruyne time. Literally it takes everybody time. And you'll yes. see next year Holland will be even better. Yeah, I agree. Like ha- Holland hasn't adjusted because well he scores goals and he's a freak, right? But so like his quality in front of goals is so good that and his positioning. So he's he's like an outlier. But every play, like you said, takes time. His so, build up play gets better every game too. Yeah. Like look, if so. if we're if we're in April twenty twenty four next season and we're still having the same conversations about Phillips, I think he's gone. Yeah, I agree. I think if he's not or at least showing some signs of improvement. Like yeah. showing some signs that in some games Pep can play him and feel fairly confident that the levels won't drop a ton. Like, I think that's it. the biggest thing. Is yeah. does Pep trust him in any Premier League games? Because like you said, there's really no games for him to get in the rest of the season. But that doesn't mean he doesn't trust you. Like he trusts Rico Lewis or else he wouldn't have played him in all of those games a little early in the season. But Rico Lewis probably isn't playing a game the rest of the year. Yeah. To be honest. I agree with, I, so, I agree with that. Uh, maybe he'll grow to trust Phillips, and we'll see next year throughout the entirety of the season. Just because he doesn't play him in one big game doesn't mean that uh, he doesn't trust him. But yeah, I agree. He's not going to get in the rest of the season either. So Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I agree with that. I'll go with that. Um, Just to wrap up the pod, I think something that I we were talking about before, you know, before the, um, before we started the pod, United potentially getting bought by Qataris or by Ratcliffe, you know, change of ownership coming up for them. Um, and we'll talk about, you know, are they going to be a threat to us now? Like a bigger threat? Um, we're talking about this a little bit, you know, offline, but I think it'd be good to just discuss a little bit, you know, I think it's a, it's, a, it's an interesting development, right? And the league, the Premier League is always evolving and changing, you know, year to year. And I think we're at that point now where I think we're moving into a new era in the Premier League. So, you know, the last five years was basically Liverpool and City. That, that was the era, right? And I think we're shifting a little bit from that era. I think we're going into an era of many teams competing, right? There's a lot of Premier League teams that are competing. And I think Arsenal have opened that door. They've like just basically kicked the door down and said, look at us. We can compete with your Liverpool and City. So, you know, their, their points averages are very close to what Liverpool and City have done for the last five years. So I think it's interesting. Now, you know, you've got Chelsea who've just spent 600 million pounds in <laughs> one season of transfers. And you'll have... A United team, if United get bought by, you know, and Liverpool are going to be back, let's be honest. You know, they've got Jurgen Klopp and they've got a lot of quality. They've had a few injury issues. I think they'll be next year, if they sign a couple of players, they'll, you know, they'll be right back in it. You know, they'll be right in the mix again. Maybe. Yeah, I, Maybe. I feel like next, and this is probably why we, we have a big summer coming up. And I, I did a little thread on it where we've got a lot of holes and a lot of things to answer. And I think it's very imperative that we, we get the, the summer window right. And it's because of how these teams are shaping up for next season. You know, if I, if I think about it, I, I, I kind of 
we're at that point where maybe you could have four or five teams competing at the same time. Which is which is interesting and exciting because it makes it more unpredictable. You know, we use just us and Liverpool or us and Arsenal. Um, but if next season we go into next season and you've got Chelsea competing, you've got Arsenal competing, you've got United competing, you've got Liverpool competing, that makes it very very interesting. And if and so, I think if I think if United do get bored, right, maybe not next season but the year after. Oof. Yeah. What do you think? So, so let's go one by one real quick. Uh, United, I mean, it's kind of hard to not run the club as bad as the Glazers. So it <laughs> can only really go up from there, <laughs> to be honest. Like, at least the ground will probably be improved. Their facilities will be improved. And, and that's a big thing. But I would say at the same time, like, and also let's not lump in Qatar, like the guy that's looking to take over Qatar is the same people that own PSG. Like, yes, they're from the same country. They're two different people. Yes, there's probably some mixture of public money, but it chances are it's probably a different regime running United. If it is the same type of people running United than as PSG, I'm not nearly as worried because they can throw their money around all they want, but PSG... Or just from a shit I've, show. By the way, from what I've read, I, I'm pretty sure it is a proxy. Okay. Well, yeah. regardless, it, yeah, it's still they're going to have to run a better. government. Yeah, they will have to run a better. 100. They're they're going to have to run a better because PSG is probably as poorly run as the Glazers run United. Quite honestly, like the fact that their wage bill is greater than like all of League One and they still don't win the title every single year is beyond me. But Anyways, that's a different topic. I think the uh, whoever the new owner is, whether it's them or Sir Jim Ratcliffe or, or whoever it is, like they still need to show that because that's going to be the difference. Is everybody has money, so you can't just outspend, and you never really could. Like they they say you can, but you're going to have to show that you're better run than the other teams from recruitment to coaching to everything from philosophy to to your youth team, everything matters. And we already know that City is one of the best-run clubs, if not the best-run club in the world, when it comes to all of that. So they've set the standard. Uh, United is going to have to get better, no matter who owns them. Uh, They're going to have to get better at all of that. With Liverpool, I think Liverpool's problem is they're either going to have to rely on really, really good recruiting again, or they're going to have to spend some money and... I don't know if they're going to do either because all of their recruiting people from kind of the previous class is gone. All of them have left. And, you know, that was kind of Liverpool's big thing before is they found Mohamed Salah, they found Sadio Mane, they found Firmino, they found all of these guys, and now it's past their cycle and they're going to need to do it again. And really to get those quality of players if they're not willing to spend a ton of money, which they have outwardly said they're not, and it's clear from the Bellingham reports that they're not, then they're going to need to pull a rabbit out of a hat again. And some, you know, some teams have very good recruiting. Like, look at Brighton. They just do it over and over and over. Look at Dortmund. Over and over. Liverpool is going to have to prove that with Klopp. So... I wouldn't pull them out of the woods yet. They're going to need to show that they can either spend some money or they can 
repeat the good recruitment trick because it's going to be really hard to for them to compete with everyone else by keep signing these value players. Um, and then with Arsenal, Arsenal, the sky is the limit for them. Like they, they just need to kind of continue on the track. They need to keep backing Arteta. They need to get a little deeper. And I mean, the sky is the limit for them. Really, they just need to kind of keep going the way they are, and hopefully, nothing derails them. Chelsea, who knows? I mean, <laughs> next year is the year for Chelsea. Really, I know. Asan yeah, Asan and I were kind of talking about it, like. They next year is the year. You can't spend all this money and not get very good results. And so far, they've underwhelmed. So they need to show that there's some strategy to all this money they're throwing around. Because throwing money around just doesn't work anymore. Like City have proved that. You need to be very smart with your strategy. And I still, I, I hope the league will become more competitive, but. These teams, you know, just because they have some new owners or some more money, they're they're going to need to do more than that, and they're going to need to show us that because, really, I don't think anybody has proved like Arsenal has proved it to us this year, and Liverpool has proved it in a couple in years past, but they can't do it every year. That no other team can really compete with us for five years in a row. I mean, nobody. So. That's what another team's going to have to prove. For me, I think the only reason why United does worry me from an ownership perspective is um, if they do, let's say, get a new owner and they promise to clear the debt, so that means more income, sorry, more income into the the club by default of having no debt. Um, Glazers take a lot of dividend payments out as well. So... They've been like, you know, if, I think if you look at historically how much money the takeover has cost United, I think it's something like something ridiculous. I, I can't remember the exact figure, but it's about six hundred million or something like that. Over, a lot over of money, the, yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of money that's gone outside of the club, right? And a, a club like City who reinvests basically all its money back into the club and back into the area, back into the stadium, etc. That's what will change for United. And United have a very, very strong revenue base, right? So from a from a financial side, they're already strong, but they'll be much stronger, right? And when you have owners with deep pockets who are not worried about cash flow, not worried about profits, not worried about dividend payments, it changes the dynamic of the club, right? I'd be less worried about United if they had Ole at the wheel still. But they've got Eric Ten Hag now, who's I think is a very, very good manager, right? So they've got a strong base to build on, right? So if a new owner comes in, I think in two years they'll be competing in Premier League again. That's my the current vibe that I'm getting, right? They'll invest smartly. They'll buy the right players. Um, it's just about if they get their recruitment right fast enough to start competing. That's where that's where the the gap will be. You know, they need to hit a few more wins in the transfer market <clears throat> players yeah, like that's... players like anthony and sancho you know for a total of almost 200 million pounds probably not the best moves right so that's where something needs to change a little bit right they need to make those smart decisions to you know build up a little bit more um and if we if you look at arsenal arsenal's model 
and the reason why it's working for them is they've spent a lot of money in the transfer window, but they went really, really young, right? They went really, really young. They've built a core of players. And if I was looking at the numbers yesterday, their starting 11 has played 85% of minutes in the Premier League. And that includes Jesus, who's only had 48% of minutes, right? So they've got a very, 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 very consistent lineup. Um, and like you said, the sky's the limit for them because it's all about depth. Next season, you know, if they win the league this year, right, it's going to be very, very hard for them to repeat because we know, we've seen it ourselves, how hard it is to, to go in again and push just again to go all the way. It's a marathon, right? Um, so they'll need, they'll need to get deeper. Um, they're yeah, rumored to like they're rumored, they're rumored to go after like, like Seattle and Declan Rice. So they, I, I think they've got the right ideas. Um, it's just about executing them because they've got a very young core, like a, a, a young core of Saliba, Gabriel, Odegaard, Saka. I think their average age and Martinelli, for example, their average age is like twenty three. It's crazy. They're so young, so they're going to be around for ages, right? And if they keep that core together and they keep competing. They'll they'll be a they'll be a very very strong competitor. The only reason why I say Liverpool will will be back um, is, and I think what people are missing. So a lot of people are saying like, oh, Liverpool's not going to spend the money. I think they spend money, but they'll spend it in different areas. And what I mean by that is, what people don't realize like, it's fine to look at transfer fees, but you can't gotta look at the the wages and the the amortization side. Liverpool had the highest wages in twenty twenty two. And that was based on them making the Champions League final, making all the finals, and finishing second in the league, right? So they, they pay their players high bonuses based on achievements. But something to consider is they've got a lot of players coming off the books this season. So Nebuchadnezzar, Oxen-Chamberlain, Milner, um, there's a few couple of other players that are coming, Firmino. So they've got a few players coming off the books this season. And that's going to free up a lot of money for them, right? So... I always, I always try to think about like amortization and wages as like, you know, you've got a budget and you can only slot in certain players at a certain price, right? And it's kind of how Chelsea did their business with, um, how they did a business with like, you know, putting players on long contracts so the amortization Enzo goes Fernandez. down. Yeah, you Enzo put on Fernandez, eight-year eight deal. Yeah, eight-year deal, right? So something to consider is all these players on Liverpool side, you know, Oxen Chamberlain who cost 35 million, Keita, who cost 50-something million, they never got contract renewals, right? So when they, um, when their amortization comes off the books and their asset is off the books, suddenly the 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 money available in Liverpool's financials is going to go up. And their revenues have gone up since they've signed these players. So they do have space to spend. Whether the owners have the appetite to spend and compete, and it's kind of why I think they're looking for an investment or maybe a new owner, is... At the end of the day, football is not a very profitable business, right? You're not, you're not, you're not going into football to make money. You know, if you compare football to your NBA franchises or your NFL franchises or your NHL franchises, they're money-making machines year on year, and that's because of the way the salary caps and you know the you know it's a, it's a closed league system and etc. So like, there's a completely different thing. And as American owners, they come in and they try to do the same thing that is in American sports. Um, and that's why they, you know, this whole FFP thing and, you know, you, you hear John Henry always complaining about, um, you know, when I came in, you know, I was told that 
spending was going to be limited. At the end of the day, this is for owners to make money, not for players. doesn't benefit players. FFP does not benefit players. Um, uh, limiting spending does not benefit anyone but the owners at the end of the day. The owners are the only people that are, end up benefiting because they end up getting profit into their hands and they make money on their, on the on these assets or clubs. So the only thing for FSG to make is capital gain, right? They, they, they're going to make a lot of money when they do sell a club because they bought it they bought it for what 300 million 250 million and they've basically haven't invested much of their own money to bring it up similar to what how glazers are so you know glazers did a leveraged buyout they didn't even spend a dollar of their own money and they've just gone in you know basically milk the club, milk the club and they can sell it for four billion dollars in profit or four billion dollars yeah and they and they right? put it on the new york stock exchange too i've never Correct. seen that in Life. Yeah, like, so they've, they've made Man United's a publicly traded company. <laughs> yeah, so they've made an absolute killing in in terms of capital, but in terms of year on year profit, there's not much in football. Right, there's not much in football, and and this is where where people say maybe they don't have the appetite to keep spending and keep competing. You know, you you, you in in football you have to spend every year to stay competitive. You know, your squad cost or your your team cost per year has to stay really, really high to keep that revenue flowing in, right? You can't you can't get revenue without spending money, right? You can't attract players with spending money and you can't... So, like, if you put a bonus structure in place for your players, you say you need to make the Champions League final to earn a bonus type of thing, you know, that affects your wages and which means you're making less money now. <laughs> so, it's like, a, it's like you're spending money always to compete. While in, in other closed league systems, you pay the same amount of money whether you make the final or you don't make the final type of thing, right? So, and you're always going to be making profit. So I think that's why they're trying to sell. Um, so it'll be interesting. Look, I, I still think they'll spend. They have to stay competitive. They still have to make those Champions League spots, right? And because the Champions League is, you know, an extra 100 to 150 million in revenue, right? They have to continue on that trend. But yeah, I think I kind of went a, a bit off tangent in, in terms of finances and you know, you know how I see it playing out next season, but I do think league will be a lot more competitive next season. And you look at we're talking about the relegation. There's like eight teams in relegation in a relegation battle, and it's and at first time is it because the teams are there's more teams that are poor than there are good teams? And I'm like, no, I think all all those teams at the bottom are very competitive with each other. It's so competitive. There's so much. There's you go into the season, you don't know who's going to get relegated because they're all strong teams now. So the Premier League's level has just, just keeps going up and up and up. And teams like your Liverpool, United, Arsenal, it's the same thing on the, on the top side. They have to keep spending to stay within it. You have to put $200 million down into your squad. And it might not work out. That's probably the scariest part, I think, for um, for these owners who don't, you know, who want to make a profit, who want, who want to guarantee them this whole point of the super league right it's guaranteeing revenue guaranteeing profit so to me those that's where concern comes in you know what i mean that's where the concern comes in where i think a, a united change of ownership will make the league harder in terms of at the top because they won't care about profits anymore so coming back around to united yeah like they won't care about um Money. They're not going to care about profits. They're going to improve the club. They're going to invest in the club. They're going to invest in the infrastructure because they're not going to be worried about making 50 million profit at the end of the season. All they're going to care about is winning things. So it changes the dynamic again for the Premier League. Well, the, that's kind of the thing is all of these teams 
that have been sitting on the outside looking in to a city winning all the titles, they need to change something or else they're risking Manchester City turning the Premier League into Bayern's Bundesliga. Like Seriously. I mean, that because right now, the best young talents are going where? They're going to Manchester City. Like, and City all of a sudden went four of five more Premier Leagues with Pep Guardiola. You think that's not going to play in people's heads? Like, it, and all of the young players are going to want to go play for City if City's the only team winning it every year. So these teams have to change something because if they don't, this is what's going to happen because City's been destroying them for so long. So, Look, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think anyone in the... I don't think anyone... I think people are very naive if they ever think Manchester City will become the Bundesliga, right? Like, the Bayern... You've got to look at the finances on, on between, like, Bayern and the other teams, right? It's it's a gulf. Like, it's, it's like double, you know? And I, I remember showing you... I did a little thread ages ago. You know, you look at PSG in comparison to the next team. You can combine, like, 10 teams' wages and, you know, it's not even close to PSG's. The, the thing with the Premier League and the reason why I will never get to that point is we've got very strong teams that all make money. The difference for us is Pep Guardiola. So we've got a f- like fantastic manager um, that it does help us attract those players. And and to be fair, if you look at you know English football history, right, teams go in cycles. It's been like this since forever. Teams dominate errors. You know, you look at the 80s, Liverpool won, were winning 8 out of 11 titles in a row, you know what I mean? Or they won 12 or 11 titles in a space of 18 years. That's domination. That's like winning almost 60%. Then you look at United from 1992 to 2000, uh, 2012, they won 13 out of 20 titles. They won 8 out of 11 titles. They won, they, they done 3 in a row twice in that same period. And if you if you do if we did that and you, that's what those articles in, in the media fuck the media but those articles in the media where they're like oh Eng- city's ruining english football no city this has been english football forever it's how it's always been it goes cycles and our money is very similar to the other teams how much they spend on wages you know like i said liverpool spent more on wages than us last season so in terms of wages we're all very close the difference is the fine margins, making sure, and it's a risk for us, right? You know, if we don't, like, I, I think of this summer coming up, if we don't get it right, we could fall back in the pecking order. We have to get it right. And you have to always be on top of the game. You have to always be evolving, right? So for me, they're, they're the big, the big, big, big things coming up in this summer. And I think why we need to be really, really smart about our summer, the way we spend, who we buy, who we get in, who we replace. You know, if we lose a lot of rookie players, and this is why the teams like United could worry me in the future. If they do change their ownership, if they do get more money coming in, and the structure changes, we could we could easily lose that spot. And because, like I said, English football does go in cycles. You know, you've been dominating for ten years, and suddenly you're not dominating anymore. It changes quickly, very very quickly. And that's football finance talk with the bald fraud, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know anything. I'm just a bald fraud, so just ignore me. <laughs> I don't think either of us know anything. We just pretend like we do. Yeah, I just pretend. Just sound confident and they'll believe you. Yeah, that's it. You just fake it till you make it, man. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. But yeah, look, 
it's, it's it's I think like we said I think it's an interesting summer coming up. Um, but I, th- I feel like we should wrap this pot up. We've <laughs> we've gone a bit over. Um, hope people enjoyed that uh that little finance side and how how the Premier League is going to shape up next season. I think we'll, we'll maybe we'll do another pod maybe talking about the rest of the Premier League. Um, maybe a bit more in depth of other teams' finances. Maybe talk a bit about the media. Uh, you know, we do have an international break. So we do have a bit of space to, to talk because once we come back from international break, it's going to come thick and fast. And yeah. Sam, yeah. what do you reckon? Uh, can't wait. Can't wait for Liverpool. We'll probably do a pod somewhere in between where we talk about more the league as a whole and you know what, what to expect maybe coming up in the summer from, from the league as a whole. Um, so stay tuned for that. And uh, we just want to thank you guys for listening again. Please rate the pod and um, follow us on social media, either at, at Blue City Brain, at Citizen America, or at our pod, which is um, at Pep Talk Pod MCFC. Or if you have any questions, just email us at the Pep Talk Pod MCFC at gmail.com. So, but we want to thank you guys for listening again been a great episode. I uh, hope you enjoy it. Thanks guys. Bye.